Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Jen Plum with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks for joining us. Here with us today we have Mary York Oates, Director of Admissions at Charlotte Latin School. She's also a regular on our Smarty Podcast series and our local expert on education. We also have a very special guest today because we're talking about anxiety in kids and parents. Meet David Oates with University Psychological Associates here in Charlotte. He's been here almost 20 years and specializes in the evaluation of ADHD in adolescents and adults, learning disorders, and pre-bariatric surgery candidates. David got his BA in biology from Northwestern University, his master's in education and secondary school counseling at UNCC, and his PhD in counseling psychology from Auburn University. He currently works with adolescents and adults ages 12 and up and addresses things like mood disorders, anxiety disorders, adjustment disorders, and disruptive behavior. He's very credible here. <laughs> um, welcome, you guys. Thanks for being Thanks. here. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Um, so, yes, we're talking anxiety in kids and parents. And, Mary York, um, I'm going to start with you. Everyone is talking about anxiety. Is it more? Do you find it more prevalent in schools than it used to be? I think it's top of mind for sure. For example, at Latin, at Charlotte Latin, our parent ed series this year is on anxiety. Um, parents want to talk about it. They want to identify symptoms. They want to know what's sort of worrisome and what's not. I'll also mention that our trade um, organizations, National Association of Independent Schools, um, this is on the forefront. A lot yeah. of research, a lot of articles. So I'm not sure if there's an uptick in it or we're just more aware. I'd really defer to David about that. Yeah, David, do you think anxiety is on the rise? Anecdotally, there seems to be evidence that there is, and it's usually from college counseling centers where they talk about the severity of the disorders that are presenting. But I also looked into some research from the World Health Organization. It was a European Union abstract, and they contend that there's no real change. Really? The uh, prevalence over the years has been fairly solid and stationary around somewhere around 20%. They said, I think it was 30% of the population could end up with a um, anxiety disorder over the course of their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that's still one in three people. Right. But it's not schizophrenia, which is 1%. So it's much, much higher than that. So it's one. It's probably yeah. the most prevalent of any disorder. Which means that we all sort of know someone probably with anxiety. Right, has right. at least symptoms. Mm -hmm. Do you think with teens, though, I feel like we hear about, I mean, I feel, I have, I have a couple teenagers, and it seems like just it would only be natural, not necessarily with a disorder, but to have anxiety with all of social media and everything coming at them from all angles. I would think that that would be on the rise a little bit. Do you find that? Well, there's a social component. Uh, social anxiety is concerns that are over the top about how you match up compared to your peers with respect to 
you know, let's just call it likability, and they right. have a little like button. And I have plenty of uh, clients that will say, you know, I didn't get that many likes, so I don't feel as good about things as I initially did. And, you know, that does stir up the possibility of you thinking that way, and it's not right. always a healthy way to think. I remember um, at Latin, um, I coach field hockey, which everybody knows. Um, I love to do that. But after we won a state championship, the girls posted their win, and within they were so elated and excited. And within about 20 minutes, you could see them sort of get deflated because they didn't have enough likes for their big victory. And it just seems such a spoiler. Such a sad way to measure, mm-hmm. you know, a triumph. But, right. And it's interesting just watching them interact with their social media tools. And, you know, even within a certain small time period, I'm like, if they if they were Charlotte Smarty fans, they'd be depressed all the time. Because it takes forever <laughs> for us to get all the likes. I mean, they get a zillion likes in like two minutes, and that's the success. But if it's less than that, it's not a success. I mean, it's kind of crazy. It is. Um, what resources do you have at schools um, for you know for families to reach out to? First and foremost, the teacher. I mean, first line of defense. The teacher. What I love about my experience as a parent um, is that the teacher is the part of the community that is really stable and predictable and routine. And what I mean by that is that. She or he knows what is what the sort of appropriate benchmarks and behaviors are. So if a teacher says to a parent something like, um, "Tommy's really struggling finishing his work," or um, "Jane is very withdrawn on the playground," um, "Alicia can't seem to just roll with it," I think these are important things to pay attention to. But I would really caution the parent just to pay attention to it and not borrow worries. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just as simple as as um, the morning routine is getting slowed down because they're having a really good time horsing around. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not productive. But if it is a pattern um, and the teacher feels strongly enough to set up a conference or to send um, an email or a follow-up phone call to talk about it, I think it's really important just to, to partner with the teacher and figure out how you can begin to support some sort of mini intervention, if you will, um, setting timers, things like that. Tips we've talked about before about routines in the classroom. What about some of the um, red flag or signs of true anxiety in kids? Um, What, is there a mat, like an age that it seems to happen more frequently, like to be aware of it? Or are there certain symptoms that we should pay more attention to that maybe we're not? Or um, what do you think yeah, about that's that? That's a great question. Uh, the first is my memory, and it's not always correct, <laughs> but uh, it is uh, the initial incidence of um, anxiety disorders typically does occur like age 10 or 11. Okay, and it persists across the lifetime for many people gets worse up into middle age, and then declines. I think that's really interesting because as you get older, I guess you don't care as much. (laughs) Or you forget. I'm not sure. You forget what you're anxious about. Or you realize that you need to not sweat the little things. Focus on what's important. So that's what old age confers, I think, and we as younger people need to notice that. 
you know, good enough is oftentimes good enough. I love that comment. Mm -hmm. That was a Swarthmore professor, and he wrote a lot about anxiety and the irony that if you have more choices, the more anxious you become. Right. That makes sense. And our society is full of that. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. That's what happens when you're guest speaker. You've been married to him for 30 years. So please excuse <laughs> me, <love> David. <laughs> um, but I think that when you say good enough is good enough, it's it's that we, we have this culture of alphas, and we always think it's got to be great. And so sometimes the parent is taking their own bag of tricks, if you will, into the experience with the child, you know, and the parent is worried and nervous. And I think that comes from a really natural fear. You're going through it right now, Jen, with a with a senior. Yeah. Um, of, you know, what's next? Are they gonna be able to launch? Are they do they have the tools? But we've done some things as parents out of that fear that don't necessarily enable the children um, to relationship build. For example, we've got them in soccer, we've got them in piano, we're doing extra tutoring. Those are all wonderful, enriching things, but it doesn't really replace playground politics, kick the can, places where parents are not, and children have to figure out how to navigate the waters. And I just think there's real value in and some good old-fashioned downtime um, where we're not always scheduling them um, in a situation where they've got to sort of have a performance or a product attached to it. Right. Um, and the one of our school counselors talked about um, the inability to form relationships through all these structured activities that you – make a play date with a neighbor or someone that's on your carpool schedule, not someone who's really different than you. But right. at school on the playground, you know, if if the guy that is running kick the can or Foursquare is not like you, you're going to have to figure out how to navigate that. And Claudette Hall, who was a former head of our lower school at Latin, used to say there's value in playground politics if, you know, of course keeping them safe and all the rest of it, but having them to figure out how it how to roll with it. Yeah. I mean, playground politics is like p- politics, life. Right, life. <laughs> you know? Really, it's the a slice of life. the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because ideally, the consequence of having a bully on the bus when you're a 12-year-old is much lower than, you know, if you're out of college and uncomfortable and right. suddenly, you know, your life truly is threatened. It's very different. Well, I get I get asked this question a lot, um, just in because I've lived through four kids are getting a little bit older. But we have had some playground politics come up, neighborhood playground politics, where um, a mom is observing uh, another child, not necessarily bullying, but really um, dominating and, and mean playing, and you know, kind of kind of the leader of the pack. And she asks, like, when should she intervene with the child or the parents? And and I always say, you've got to teach your kids at a young age to advocate and stick up for themselves. And I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but um, it seems like there's there's a lot of questions about do they talk to the other parent? Is that going to go bad? Or um, what do you think about that? That's another great point. I often think about when do you intervene before there's any bloodshed. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, well, back in the day. Or is I bloodshed mean, bad? Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> Between the two kids. Back in the day, right. we'd be having 
games, you know, on a neighborhood playground, and we'd come back with a black eye, and my father, being a physician, would treat it. (laughs) But it wouldn't, uh, you know, things that are more emotional, you know, when do you treat those? I think you ought to hang in the background. Yeah, that's what I... And when they're younger, you know, they'll come to you in tears, and you give them a hug, and... You got to put them back out make there. Make suggestions, yes. When are you you go back when you're ready to go back? Yeah. You, most of them, if you keep a good demeanor, they'll um, notice it. I think that it's also how old are they? You know, we're not going to take a bunch of three-year-olds to the Chick-fil-A playground and tell them to work it out. I mean, right. that's not This is like kindergartners, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, they've been in a situation, you know, it's not like terrible. They're not going to come back with a black eye, but, right. you know, Sally's not, um, is telling everyone else not to play with Jimmy and you know that kind of behavior and is it is it worse to go through the parent the other par- the other mom where most of the time the other mom is not going to believe that her child would do anything wrong or is it better to try and arm your child young um, to figure it out? One of the school teachers um, that I work with said the greatest thing to me when I was a young parent, she said, just remember that child is loved by another parent too. And so I think if you can sort of decide what your end goal is, is your end goal to sort of serve the friend, your neighbor, your colleague, um, or is it to get your child more social currency. I mean, I think I hate to be cynical like that, but I think there's I think sometimes sitting on our hands and tolerating a little discomfort as parents is so important um, if they're not in harm's way or dangerous. And I mean that we talked about that with risky behavior. I mean, I was always the believer if I didn't see something with my own eyes, I wasn't going to talk about it to other parents, you know, because the rumor mill was such. But I think that there's value in um, trying to train your children at the table to say, you know, what was your role in this? What are your tools? You can always play somewhere else. And right. that is actually the most powerful lesson in the world is because that child that is controlling and being domineering, when people choose not to play with him or her, it they will change. It takes away the power, right? They will change. But it's hard. It's hard when it's your little baby. Of course it is. Do you think that um, parents – now, like, over-living through their children, um, do you think that's causing more anxiety in general? Um, you know, a lot of parents—we're so much more involved than our parents when we were younger. And um, even the less involved parents are still way more involved than generations before us. So how do you think that's affecting our youth? We're problem-solving for them. hmm rather than joining them in understanding what they're facing. You know, what are the challenges you're facing? What are you thinking about doing differently? Have you tried anything different? I'll join you in suggesting some things that have worked for me, but ultimately you need to be in charge of it. As soon as you are able, you know, developmentally appropriate, strategies. This is the first thing every teacher says our children today cannot problem solve. Yeah, I see it. I think that is the first step in we're not giving them tools to fight the discomforts, which if you don't have the tools to fight discomfort, they become fears. The fears become. And 
fight discomfort or tolerate discomfort because anxiety is a dis- disorder that involves uh, distorting your perceptions of how it feels. You're exaggerating the intensity and how damaging it could potentially be. And most things are not as damaging as you think. You can tolerate them. Right. Well, and it just seems like um, as as a whole, our young parents, we don't want anything bad to happen to our kids. And it and did our, did our parents not care? I mean, it, it's crazy. It's like it's like the, when something happens to my child, it's like ten times worse on me than on the child. I can tell, mm-hmm. and then I try and rein in my reactions. But it, it seems like today we don't want our kids to fail. But the only way they're going to succeed is to fail. Um, it just seems so different. The stakes are higher. I think when we were kids, our parents didn't worry about whether we would go to college or whether we'd get a job. Uh, there were a lot of op- options, and I think somehow we feel that our children won't be as successful as we've been or something. I don't or we know. want them to be doubly successful exactly. as we are. Right. The, I think the reality, I think right now with teens in general, there's no room for error. And so they have, if they, if they do mess up, that anxiety level just jacks up. Yet we know you learn more from failure than success. I know. I can still tell you. (laughs) I can still tell you about the twenty-six I made in college on a physics exam. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Have you gotten over that yet, doctorates? Not yet. Okay. Twenty-six. I think you have me beat. (laughs) You can feel smarter than the man with the doctor. I know his credentials are so much higher. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us today and taking your time out. Um, It was such a treat. Thanks for having us. It's always fun to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottesstarroom.com.